Hello, my friend, and welcome to this very special TFU News and Views Masters of the Universe edition. Oh, my goodness. I know this is normally a Transformers podcast and Transformers related news, but I had a chance to scream the first part, the first five episodes of Masters of the Universe Revelation, and I'm so excited to talk about it. Part one, which features these five episodes, debuts on Netflix on July 23rd, 2021. And I'm here to give you this non-spoiler review. Um, I will do my best to not spoil plot points uh, as much as I can, because uh, I want to get you to watch the show. I'll also do a little bit of compare and contrast with, with its sister show, Transformers, War for Cybertron's kingdom or siege or Earthrise, because i think there's a lot to be said about what is accomplished in these five episodes versus what that series accomplished in 18 episodes and it's not to knock that series but it's just to show that there is a different approach and sometimes a more efficient approach and yeah without knowing all the stuff behind the scenes uh budgets and so on and so forth uh just comparing two series and which one is worth your time to watch, there's certainly a strong case to be made for Masters of the Universe. Now, Netflix has respectfully asked me to refrain from revealing specific plot points. So, just so you're aware, I cannot talk about any character deaths, including... I cannot discuss that He-Man... I cannot discuss that Skeletor's and he's bad again. We cannot talk about how Skeletor and I cannot talk about Skeletor becoming even though there's a toy of it out on the shelves. So with those spoilers in mind, let's talk a little bit about Masters of the Universe Revelation. Now, without getting into too much of the plot, because actually a lot of the plot is in that section I just bleeped out, <laughs> um, especially like a lot of the motivation for the story as it goes on from episode one and beyond. Let's start with just how this show starts out. The show is just a loving homage to Masters of the Universe, uh, front to back, really, but especially at the beginning, first 30 seconds, minute of it. Uh, it's an homage to all the old posters and artwork. Um, there were definitely ones I noticed. And I was like, I had that on my wall as a kid. I knew where that was from. They kind of cut them out and animated them so that they moved just a little. Um, it was a great way to kind of do that in an inexpensive way. And then the narration basically telling you the open of the filmation. He-Man, same thing that Adam says at the beginning this time. It is uh, Liam Cunningham, who is the voice of Duncan and Man at Arms, um, giving you that that read, and uh, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, the thing is, it's only in the first episode. The remaining four episodes have no opening sequence at all. It's a very smart move. It gives them more time to tell story, and uh, and they're just kind of thrown up their uh, title, and that's it, uh, which is very reminiscent, also of the original series of how they would put the titles up. Uh, so really well done, done really well done. Uh, speaking of the voice cast, uh, the voice cast for this series, for the most part, is spot on. 
Um, and I think there are a couple of complaints I have about the voice cast, but the positive side of this voice cast, the ones that are just uh, exceptional, uh, it, it's over and over. Uh, do I think it's great? Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller as Tila, Liam Cunningham as Men at Arms, Chris Wood as uh, He Man slash Prince Adam, Lena Hetty as Evil Lynn is probably the highlight of the show. Uh, Griffin Newman is Orko. Uh, Tiffany Smith is Andra. Andra's an, an interesting character we'll get into a bit. Henry Rollins as Triclops is phenomenal. Uh, we get a guest appearance by the original Skeletor by, is in Alan Oppenheimer playing Mossman. Justin Long as Roboto is great. Jason Muse as Stinkor is fantastic too. And Tony Todd as Scareglow uh, was so good that I went out and bought a Scareglow figure because he was just that awesome. Uh, Kevin Michael Richardson as Beastman. Uh, for you Transformers fans, that's Bulkhead from Transformers Prime. As well as another of, uh, other voices uh, throughout different Transformers series. And all of them, uh, good, almost to a fault. I have to say, Sarah Michelle Geller's Tila and Tila's story arc, uh, it's got a Buffy vibe to it uh, without, without talking too much about the show. This show is really about Tila, um, you know, without giving too many away plot points. There's a reason why He-Man isn't in the title that it's Masters of the Universe Revelation, not He-Man and the Masters of the Universe Revelation. Uh, it is most certainly uh, Tila's story here that is being told. And the way it is told, it is very Buffy-esque. And Sarah Michelle Gellar was probably the perfect choice, almost to a fault. The same could be said for Lena Headey as Evil Lynn. Evil Lynn's characterization here it's got a lot of Queen Cersei to it from Game of Thrones, and uh, it's not that's not a negative. That's not a negative at all. Um, her performance is is by far the highlight of this series. I think the voice casting misses, uh, oddly enough, come with Batman and Joker in Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. Now, starting with Mark Hamill, his Skeletor is essentially his Joker. Um, which doesn't necessarily distinguish the character. It's well played. It's well acted. It's just, I don't know if that was the voice that would compel me with Skeletor. And then Kevin Conroy as Merman. Uh, this is a complaint I had with Transformers too. Uh, so most of these voices like um, Stephen Roots Cringer and... Griffin Newman's Orko and Justin Long's Roboto, a lot of them have the vibe of the old Filmation series. They are rooted in those voices. And they maintain some of the vocal tics those characters had. Kevin Conroy as Merman is not uh, doing the Merman voice, the, the I sound like I have a mouthful of water voice. He is just acting, and he's acting very well, but it is just Kevin Conroy. It's not his Batman voice, but it's just him acting, and it's a good performance, but I, I would wonder why they would go to try to have voices that sound so much like the originals. Even Mark Hamill's Skeletor is very close to Alan Oppenheimer's Skeletor in a lot of ways in terms of pitch, in terms of tone, not necessarily in terms of delivery. Um, there's a lot less cackling madman, uh, to Mark Hamill's than there was to Oppenheimer's version. But Kevin Conroy's Merman is just a straight and direct 
And I, I just, I don't know if that was a wise choice. It was a choice and it wasn't really, you know, a terrible choice, but it's one of those ones that did take me out of uh, the moments and the episode that Merman is in. Now, honestly, that might be my biggest complaint about the show overall is the voice of Merman and Skeletor as Mark Hamill um, being a little bit too much uh, the Joker for that character. Almost everything from here on out is praise for the show. The story, the script, the dialogue, it's all great. I think my one knock on the dialogue is that sometimes the language takes you out of the series. Uh, there's a lot of damn and a lot of hell in the, in, in the verbiage. Uh, and not that I'm opposed to cursing and I'm, I'm a huge fan of Kevin Smith's work, um, which is peppered full of language, right? I just don't know if that isn't jarring to other people, but it certainly was a little jarring to me to the point where I was wondering sometimes if it was necessary. Um, now, they don't really curse. I mean, that's about the harshest thing you'll hear them say is damn or hell. Uh, but it just seems uh, out of place. But everything in the script is really well planned. Uh, there's so much fan service, so much uh, deep cuts uh, in the animation and in the scripts. Uh, I, what I love about this story is that everything is planned very well. So every MacGuffin you come across in this show is there for a reason. It leads you to the next MacGuffin. It leads you to the next thing. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And the stakes keep getting higher and higher. Um, that's something I really didn't feel watching three seasons of Transformers War for Cybertron. By the end of that... And you can check out my other review on this channel of that series. Um, some of the MacGuffins were important and some weren't. This one, every MacGuffin is as important as it is paid attention to, if that makes sense. So nothing is involved in this story longer than it needs to be. And nothing is involved in this story. I will say nothing in this story has weight more than it should. So... When Tila and Andra are off to find certain things and certain objects, um, the appropriate amount of time is given to those quests based on how important those things are. Uh, so some of the other things that are important that I can't talk about because I believed them out before um, get whole episodes, whereas some things they have to go find are there just to introduce other characters and move the story along in a way that brings everybody together. And I think that is the vibe of this show. If I could, if I could call this show what it is and knowing, uh, Kevin Smith's work, being a fan of his podcast and having listened to him and Mark Bernardin, also a writer on the show before, I think the best way to put this is it's masters of the universe done as the blues brothers. There's a lot of, we're getting the band back together uh, in these episodes uh, that leads up to ultimately the the final two episodes where a lot of things happen and a lot of important moments drive the story further. And that said, uh, there is a lot of twists uh, in the plot here. There's a lot of things you don't see coming necessarily because all the 
options are off the table as far as making this a kid's show instead of making this a show for you know a more adult audience a lot of those options of characters not dying is off the table so there are some stakes and i will tell you this no character i watched you know die in the show felt gratuitous the two big deaths uh within episodes are incredibly heroic uh and really well done uh, and there's there's some more in other episodes that are are, are important as well, uh, and that goes to plot twists too that I can't talk about. But there are more plot twists in this than a, an M Night Shyamalan film. No, 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 a good M Night Shyamalan film. So you will really enjoy this. This is worth the two plus hours of watching. The animation, as I said, is great. The score is incredible. Bear, uh, Bear McCreary, who you may know from The Walking Dead. Uh, phenomenal score here. Now, I know I ragged on, on War for Cybertron for not having a repeatable score, and I don't know if this show has it either. But the music and the audio mix, you know, I know when things are going to happen by the music cues. I am brought into a certain sense by the music cues, and that's very important. Uh, the animation itself, lots and lots and lots of deep cuts, lots and lots of fan service in the animation. Probably more than I know, because I'm not a huge Masters of the Universe fan. But, I mean, I caught some things. I was like, that's a toy that never made the show. There, There's somebody running in a crowd. Um, it's all it's all good stuff. So, where would I wrap this up and place this? I would tell you this. Masters of the Universe Revelation is a must-watch. It is on par right now for me with the first time I watched Netflix's uh, Voltron series in that it is a a fantastic, I don't want to call it a reinvention. It's not really a continuation. It's smart in that it says, look, here's the players, here's what happens. And we get rid of this really early. It's very well done in that way. Um, you You know the story. Basically, He-Man fights Skeletor. There's a sword that turns this prince into a giant warrior. Off we go. And I think that is always important. We're not restarting over here. Uh, we don't need to know that you know Uncle Ben dies. We don't need to know that Bruce Wayne's parents are shot. We can just get right into the story here. And have really no need to ask why. So, as I was saying, this, this series uh, is... On par with that Voltron reboot in terms of watching the first season and being excited for the next. I can't wait for the next five parts. I hope you do take the time to watch it. It, it clocks in at roughly, when you get the five episodes down, you know, 25 minutes each, it's a little over two hours. I highly recommend watching this series. I've watched it twice. I'll probably watch it a third time. Uh, I started watching it a third time before recording this. I was like, I got to stop. I got to stop. Kevin Smith, Mark Bernardin have done a phenomenal job on this show. Uh, Shout out to the other writers. Tim Sheridan, who also wrote on Transformers War for Cybertron. uh, And uh, Eric Carrasco from Supergirl. And uh, Daya Mishra from an upcoming Magic the Gathering series. I'm actually interested in seeing that. But you should be interested in seeing this. And Definitely stay tuned to this feed, to this podcast, for more in-depth, spoilery review coming up shortly after the show launches, which it launches on July 23rd, 2021 on Netflix. That's it. 
If you like what you hear, please hit me up on Twitter at TFU underscore info. Until next time, see ya. Want to learn a bit about the Transformers? Think you know everything about Cybertron, but are looking to learn a little bit more? Enroll today at Transformers University Podcast. Each episode will tackle a piece of Transformers history, starting in 1984 and marching our way up to today. Hosted by me, Anthony Brucalli, three-time Emmy Award winner and consulting producer on Netflix's The Toys That Made Us, and lifelong Transformers fan, we'll go on a journey through cartoons and comics, toys and movies, and all the weird esoterica from around the world, chronicling the adventures of everyone's favorite robots in disguise. Listen to Transformers University on iTunes, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Transform and roll out!